All right, good morning, church. I hear that it is a hard Sunday today because I have to follow up Travis and his excellent sermon. So thank you very much, sir, for doing that last week. Um, I appreciate that, and I think everybody that got the opportunity to hear your message appreciated it as well. So thank you for filling in for me. Maybe I'll have you do it more often. I don't know. Well, thank you guys for being here this morning. Um, as you can tell, I'm, if you can tell, maybe not, but I'm a little under the weather. Um, the end of our trip got a little uh, adventurous, I guess you could say, because uh, the last day we were supposed to be there, I woke up and I'm like, I'm sick. And I, I was, I've just got this head cold gunk going on. And then uh, we're just kind of hanging out, waiting for the plane. And I realized they changed the flight and I never noticed it. So we were supposed to leave at 10 a.m. and I realized that about noon. So uh, we were supposed to leave at 4 is what I thought, but they changed it because that's what airlines do. So then we called them and we were looking for what we were to do and they said, well, we can get you back home on Monday or Tuesday. Like that's four or five days from now. So thankfully we, uh, we bought some tickets and flew into Jackson and Miss Sherry came and picked us up. But like, I can say with, <laughs> without any hindrance, we are so happy to be home at normal life because th- we thought we were going to have to uh, live in San Diego for five days and we were already tired. so I'll have to stay put here at the podium. That's going to be difficult for me. Um, you remember over this past month or so, we've been doing this series over the purpose of, and I even had Travis kind of fit into that mold, and he did the purpose of stopping. So with uh, the tea party coming up next week, or the end of this week, I guess you could say, and uh, then Easter following, this is kind of my last opportunity to uh, give you one more purpose of sermon. Because next week we're going to have a guest speaker, uh, Daryl Salanka. He's coming with his wife to the tea party speaker. And, uh, and then we've got Easter, and I'll probably talk about Jesus or something on Easter. I don't know. So this is uh, the last purpose of sermon that I have for you. And today I want to talk about, it ties right in with where Travis was at. I want to talk about the purpose of storms. I want to talk about the purpose of storms kind of as our last purpose of um, sermon, I guess you could say. And I, I couldn't really figure out if I wanted to stick with storms or if I wanted to do uh, struggles or trials or, you know, we kind of have some similar words for these, but we all understand what a storm is. And uh, we understand what storms are in the physical world, right? So you, you want a worldly definition of a storm. We've got um, snowstorms and ice storms and rainstorms. And in Lubbock, they had absolutely crazy storms, uh, dust storms, and they just kind of rolled in like a wall, and then you couldn't see anything for the next couple of hours. It was just, you know, like uh, when the King Tut arises in the movies, you know, in Egypt, that's what it looks like. So there is all types of storms we know physically in the world, but I'm not talking about snowstorms or sandstorms today, because we also all know exactly the type of storms that I'm going to be talking about. The purpose of those personal storms, those storms in our life, those struggles that we each face, and the storms that we as humans 
are dealing with on a regular basis, it seems like, right? Those are the storms that we're also very familiar with. Maybe you can think of a few off the top, but maybe it's like health storms. Think of Brother Craig this morning, and um, I can't wait to go see him. I know they're home today. But man, that storm is one that none of us are really excited to be battling, are we? I'm sure Craig's not excited about that storm, even though he's a strong-hearted man. But health storms are things we face all too regular, right? What about those personal storms? Maybe we have some conflict with others. (laughs) Does that ever happen? No. Maybe some relational, personal storms where you have trouble getting along with people or somebody just constantly is hurting you. That's a storm. Financial storms, those ones aren't real, right? Nobody here has ever had to pay an unexpected multi-digit bill. What about the end of the month? There's never enough money, is there? Storms come in all ways. What, What about people? People can be other storms. Don't name any names, but I know you're thinking of somebody, right? We have storms in our life all the time, and those are the type of storms I want to talk about today. They're the trials, they're the sufferings that we go through, and kind of it ties into what Travis was talking about last week. How can we combat the storms? We stop. We take a time of Sabbath. We trust in the Lord. So these are kind of connected, right? But let's talk about the storms and what the purpose of them might be today and what we can take from them. And so in order to do that, I want to look at probably one of the most known storm scriptures or storm stories, I guess you could say. One of the greatest known storm stories in scripture. And you can find it in Mark chapter 4. You can also find it in in Matthew or Luke, and I'll share that here in a minute. But what's fun about Mark chapter 4 is the fact that this storm story is a literal storm. But it's also a personal storm, isn't it? And so in this story that we'll read here in just a second in Mark chapter 4, if you want to open your Bibles, we're going to pick up in the end, verse 35. But in this story, we have Jesus and his apostles. And in Mark's account, this is only one chapter after he selected the 12, okay? So we're moving pretty quickly um, from chapter 3 to chapter 4. And in between um, the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of 4, we have Jesus' teaching and some of his parables while the apostles are with him, right? But where we pick up here in the end of chapter 4, verse 35, um, you can see here at the beginning, Jesus is gathering his apostles into a boat and saying, let's go to the other side. So before we read this, I want to kind of give us a little perspective. The other side of what? The other side of the river? The other side of the stream? Well, based on we can see Jesus' travels where he's teaching, this is the other side of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, right? And so the Sea of Galilee, we kind of, as Americans, we have to chuckle because it's not a sea at all. We would call it lake, just a normal lake, right? And so the Sea of Galilee was a freshwater lake, actually fairly shallow, nothing to be scared of, probably about, um, I had some measurements here, probably about 14 miles wide by seven, or long by seven miles wide, okay? Okay. And it kind of is. It's like an Easter egg shape. It's an oval. And so for our perspective, uh, Boysen is probably about 17 miles long, but it's not 
round like that. So it's probably a little bit smaller than Boyson, but more symmetrical, right? And so they're going to go across it. They're going to go the short way. They're going to go seven miles um, with a team of men in a boat. Well, it should be no big deal. It's just a lake. This should be a, a short trip, three, maybe four hours if it's a, a tough one, right? And so they hop in the boat to go to the other side. It's just an afternoon trip. It's not days. It's not all night. It's just a short trip, something very normal for Jesus and the apostles across the Sea of Galilee, or as we call it, a lake, right? But let's read what happens here in Mark. Again, this is the account uh, in Mark chapter 4. Verses 35 through 41, I'm using the ESV. So on that day when evening had come, he said to them, Jesus said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling But he, Jesus, he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he woke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? See, like I said, probably one of the most famous storm stories in the New Testament, right? Jesus calming the storm. This is Mark's account of it. It's it's also in Matthew and Luke, like I said. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and read them. Um, as well. They're a little bit shorter, but I just want to see, give you guys the perspective. It's all the same story. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 through 27. When he got into the boat, the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said, to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Or Luke's account, Luke 8. Matthew and Luke were thinking the same thing. We like, put this in chapter 8. But Luke 8, 22 through 25. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let's go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, master, master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was calm. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? So in Mark chapter 4, in Matthew 8, in Luke 8, we have the story of the apostles, the disciples in the boat with Jesus, right? And in each of these, it's the same story, maybe a little different wording or a little different order. We see they get into the boat to cross the lake. 
And as they're in the boat, a great storm happens. This is actually a Rembrandt, famous painting of the apostles in the boat with Jesus, right? And I think it does a good job depicting it. Um, if you have this at your house, shame on you, it was stolen in the 90s. There's a $5 million reward, so if you know who has it, hit me up, we'll talk. Um, but yeah, this is still lost. But look at this picture and you can see the story happening, right? You see um, in the story, Jesus is asleep on a cushion in the boat. But the apostles, uh, they are in a literal storm here and a physical, personal one, right? What is their cry to him when they wake him up? I don't know how they woke him up. Was it gentle? Like, oh, excuse me. It doesn't seem like it. It seems like, wake up, wake up. We are dying, right? Perishing is the word that's used here. So for them, this is not just a, a physical storm that's no big deal. This is life or death. They're at the moment of we're about to go down. Did you catch in all three accounts that I read, water is coming into the boat? I don't know about you guys, uh, I kayak a little bit, but even in a kayak, water in the boat's not a good thing. That does not help you float very well, right? And so if you ever flip a kayak and you still have like half your boat full of water, you're just sitting so low, you're like, oh, any little splash is going to sink me, right? That's where these guys are. The boat is full of water and they know it's done. They know we are going down. It's life or death. They're perishing. What a great word to use. But Jesus is sleeping. He's sleeping there in the boat. And they wake him and they say, don't you care? And what's his response? To the waves and to the wind, right? Be calm, be still. And what's his response to them? Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Just think about it. They were floating along with the Son of God. And they were worried about drowning? Sounds ridiculous now, but we weren't in the boat. We weren't in the boat. I'm, I'm not volunteering to be in a boat that's sinking, no matter who's there with me, right? So I think Rembrandt does a good job painting that. But when it comes to the purpose of storms, what do we have to talk about here? Well, the first thing I want to point out, I think, is that these apostles were the closest ones to Jesus physically in human realm of anybody, right? But yet they still had to face storms. And so the first point I want to point out, I guess, is maybe debunking the myth that Christians don't face storms. Because that's not true at all, is it? It's kind of part of the human condition that we are to face storms in our life, to face trials, temptations, sufferings, whatever you want to call them. And it's been this way since the garden. Since sin has entered the world, we are going to suffer. That's part of the purpose of storms. And Job, just in a few words, does a good job of summing this up. He says in Job 5, verses 6 through 7, this is out of the ESV, For affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble sprout from the ground, but man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. Or Jeremiah 2018. Why did I come out from the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? These two verses just share how it's human. You come out of the womb 
to toil and shame, to suffering and trial, to storms, if you will. Think about Job, chapter 5. He's already gone through quite a bit. He's writing, man is born to trouble. It doesn't, trouble didn't stop in the Old Testament. Suffering continued into the New Testament, right? 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 16. You're welcome to read the verses in between, but just to share the point here. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 and 16. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. First Peter there exactly talking about being a Christian and still enduring suffering. Christians aren't exempt from the suffering of the world. In fact, we are now given a call to glorify God when we have suffering, right? And in our Bible class time, we've talked about uh, kind of the difference between trials and temptations and suffering. But today, I'm just going to keep it pretty broad. Storms, suffering, we as Christians will still face them. And I hope I'm not the bearer of bad news to you there. But I think anybody that's lived a few days knows that storms will still come even after you've had Christ in your life, right? But we now have a call to glorify God when we are faced with storms. Again, think of those apostles in the boat. Closest men to the human factor of Jesus that ever were. And yet they were facing the storms and they were going to die. Yeah. Storms still happen to us as Christians. Sometimes there's a difference between trials and temptations, but sometimes also God uses storms to test us. Again, you kind of see that in the story of the apostles. What is Jesus' response when they wake him up finally or whenever? Where is your faith? Right? First Peter here again. I'm hanging out there quite a bit today, but in the first chapter, verses 6 through 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what's Peter talking about here? Well, he could be talking about suffering or trials or any of the above, but what does he say it's all about? He says it's about testing the genuineness of your faith. Sometimes the purpose of storms is to test the Christian. Sometimes we need to go back to our opening verse, don't we? James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And it continues on from there. But testing, what's it do? That makes us stronger. We come out, when you pass a test, man, it's a great feeling. Even if you just pass it a little bit like I did in school. 72, perfect, right? C's earn degrees. Okay, not always, don't. Don't take that home. Just scrap that piece, right? But when you come out of a test successful, you are a stronger, better, smarter person, right? 
And so a purpose of storms can be for God to give us trials and temptations and tests that make us stronger. Go back to the simple proverb, Proverbs 17.3. The crucible is for the silver, and the furnace is for the gold, and the Lord tests hearts. That one's really cool. It talks about refining metals. Do you know what refining metals looks like? Well, for a furnace and gold, you know, you put it in your pot and then you keep skimming the impurities off the top until you have a more pure metal. Apply that to testing us. If the gold has the furnace, we have the trial and we come out more pure than we were before. That proverb is pretty great. 17.3, if you want to write that on your mirror in the morning. So God can put us Christians through trials, absolutely. We're not exempt from them. But what can he do in the middle of them? Well, he can test us and make us stronger. He can give us something to work on. But think about those apostles again. What was Jesus doing? Well, he was sleeping. I always have to think it's kind of funny because why was he sleeping? First off, how was he sleeping? Um... It's the middle of a storm. Second off, Jesus took naps, so that's good. We should take naps too. But third, why was he sleeping? If he knew what was going to happen, I mean, he's God. He knew it was going to happen, right? If he knew a storm was going to be coming, and he knew there was going to be water filling the boat, and he knew the disciples were going to go, we're dying, why was he taking a nap on a cushion? Oh, because he wanted to see that faith in action. He wanted the Christians, the apostles, to call out to him. So what's the purpose of the storm? Crying out to God. Crying out to God. He wanted the apostles to come to him and say, wake up, wake up, we need you. And finally they did that, right? First Peter again, told you I'm hanging out there today. Chapter 5, verse 7, simply Cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He's talking about our Lord. Cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Easy one to put on the PowerPoint. Hard one to live in your life. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. Gary was talking this morning. We preach for ourselves. Absolutely. Maybe that one's just tough for me. But think about the boat. Think about the humanity that's happening there. Jesus is a human. He's got all these human apostles. They are going to die. Did he want them to come and summon him? Is that why he was taking a nap? I don't know. I guess I'll have to write a commentary for that one, but all we have is the scripture. But he earnestly wanted them to cry out to him, to call him. So, Part of the purpose of the storm is that we should cry out to God. Think about Paul. Paul faced some storms. We don't know of all the storms that Paul faced, but we know that even in his personal life, coming from the background he came from, things were rough. If you don't know about Paul, he was formerly known as Saul, and he was the best highest paid, most professional Christian killer you could buy. And it took one little experience for God to change his life, and he left it all behind to become Paul, the missionary, 
the apostle, the preacher, whatever you want to call him, the church planter. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9, this is in one of his letters to the church in Corinth. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we are so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we are despaired of life itself. Instead, we feel that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He doesn't get into detail, but it sounds like he's going through some storms, doesn't it? He basically says, we would rather die than what we're going through. We thought we were going to die, but here we are relying on God. God wants us to call out to him, to rely on him. He wants us to cast our burdens and anxieties on him. And that's what Paul's saying right here, right? He's saying this is what we are doing no matter what we're facing. Because if Jesus is in your boat, he's going to calm. Think about the story of the apostles. He got up and what he do? He told the seas to shh. And he calmed the storm. So what Jesus is going to do is he's either going to calm your storm or he's going to calm you. See, Paul was facing trials and sufferings. But in one of his examples, in 2 Corinthians 12, we read of a suffering, a storm, if you will, that Paul is dealing with. And we don't ever see the storm being calmed. Read with me here, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, <coughs> A thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with my Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with my weakness. Insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the thorn in the flesh for Paul. You might have heard of it before. This is towards the end of his ministry. We don't know exactly what it is. Commentators can guess all day long, but we don't know. We just know that Paul had something in his life and it wasn't taken away. Paul had a storm, a thorn, and God said, now you get to keep that one because you can be great in your weakness. So what did he do instead of calming the storm? He calmed Paul. And his response out of this is amazing. He's going to boast in his weakness and let Christ rest upon him. And it doesn't matter what weakness, insult, hardship, persecution. He is calm in the midst of any storm. He's been calm because when I am weak, then I am strong. See, Jesus was in the boat. He calmed the storm, but he also had the opportunity to calm the people. So maybe sometimes Jesus will calm you in the midst of a storm. But again, we have to call on him. We have to cast our anxieties. We have to know that sometimes he might be giving us a trial. And we have to recognize that Christians can still have storms too. 
One more last thing I want to share about the story of the storm and the apostles. And it's the last verse, I promise. The last little thought. One more thing I want to share is simply put, if you have Jesus in your boat, you'll ride out the storm. I, uh, I don't typically use paraphrases very often. But this is from the message version, or which is a paraphrase, so it's, it's not taken from the original Greek or anything. But man, does it read good. This is a 1 Corinthians 10.13. No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He will always be there to help you come through it. I invite you to look up 1 Corinthians 10.13 in your version. Again, this is a paraphrase. But what is it saying? If you've got God in your boat, you're not going to sink in the storm. If you've got Jesus, he's going to calm you or calm the storm. Because he's not going to let you drown if he's with you. We have to remember that sometimes. Sometimes it feels hopeless. Sometimes it feels like, God, where are you? Is that not how your storms go? That's how mine go sometimes. But I have to hold on to the hope that I know that Jesus won't let me go down because he's with me. Jesus didn't let the apostles go down. He was just waiting for them to call upon him. So when it comes to the storms as Christians, remember, we can still have them. If anybody comes and preaches to you and says, um, because Christians are saints and they're saved, they'll never, never struggle. <sighs> I'm scared for that person because the big struggle's coming. It's right next week probably because Christians still struggle. We still have storms and that's part of the purpose of storms. But also remember, sometimes Jesus will give us storms to try us, to see how our faith is going to persevere. That's what he's doing to the apostles. He's just waiting for them to use their faith. And that's what he calls them out for. But also, Jesus, Lord, God, is waiting for us to call to him. So when we face storms, the challenge for us to do is not to face it alone, but to call out to God and cast our anxieties on him. Say, hey, I'm dying over here. Sometimes that's what my prayer looks like. Hey, don't you know I'm perishing? Because if we cast it to God, he will either calm the storm or calm us so we can go through the storm. Because the very last thing, yet again, is God will never let you down. and He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He will always help you come through it. Because if Jesus is in your boat, you're never going down. That's the purpose of storms.